0: and who is to come, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Let us pray. Almighty God, to you our hearts are open, you know our desires, there are no secrets hidden from you. We pray you would cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that you would set us fully upon you and our worship fully upon you, through Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Our first hymn is number 107. Praise ye the Father. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. By his death, our sin is forgiven. By his resurrection, we are raised into the new life of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, let us now confess our sin to Almighty God. Eternal God, in whom we live and move and have our being, whose face is hidden from us by our sins and whose mercy we forget in the blindness of our hearts, forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all our offenses, and deliver us from proud thoughts and vain desires, that with reverent and humble hearts we may draw near to you, confessing and confiding in you, and finding in you our refuge and strength, through Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. Jesus Christ is the one who was sacrificed for us. He is the atoning sacrifice that cleanses us from all our sin. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has delivered us from our sin. So I declare to you that all those who have faith in him and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is not something for us to presume upon, but for some, it is something for us to give thanks to God for his graciousness to us. Let us say together, praise be to God. Beloved children of God, once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it is said, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light." There's been a lot of discussion lately, I've been reading, at least in what I read, um, about how at one point the church, and I mentioned this in a sermon not long ago, but the church in the United States uh, up until maybe 2015 was uh, sort of in a neutral state with our culture, with, this, with our society. And the society treated it kind of in a neutral way. Um, but since in the last few years it's become negative, it's sort of a negative world for the church and so we're more and more. The apostle talks about uh, how we were once light, but now we're in—we uh, were once darkness, but now we're in light. We're to expose the things in the darkness. We're finding ourselves more and more in a situation where we have to speak forth uh, frankly, forthrightly about what's going on in a way that's kind and and uh, and polite and respectful, but at the same time calling things what they are being willing to stand up for what is right and against what is wrong and we're more and more in that position so we must hear the words of the Apostle and <clears throat> receive them as our call to obedience that we do that we um, are to, to uh, practice after we know that we've been forgiven and and, and uh, uh, that we are joined with Christ we are to follow in that way and live by his grace this is God's will for us in Christ let us say amen our Next hymn is 154, Thou Art the Way. Father, who has always been and always will be. You bless us with your life. You keep us in the land of the living. We thank you for our creation and the life that you have given to us, that life that comes from your creation and your government of your of your creation. We thank you for healing us from the sickness of sin and the life that we receive through Jesus Christ. We thank you that through him, you 've given us your life that we may participate in the life uh, in your life through Jesus Christ you 've blessed us in so many ways, and you 've made our lives shine with Christ you 've been faithful to us, so here are prayers that we make through Jesus Christ, who is the faithful one, who is the living one whose intercession for us never ends. We ask you to mercifully hear us and grant that we who have been given a hearty desire to pray, because your Spirit stirs us up, may we by your mighty aid be defended and comforted in all dangers and troubles. Hear our prayers as we express our concerns and worries to you.
1: O Lord of hosts,
0: as you have made your church to share in the victory of Christ, so make your church across this world to be more than conquerors, standing firm in its faith in Jesus, even if it is being persecuted. And we pray you would bring peace to the people in Ukraine, in Afghanistan, Syria, Yemen, Myanmar, that you would stop Russia's aggression. And may these nations strive for order and good rule of government, and we pray that you would establish the faith of your church in these lands that it would be set firmly on christ even if it must undergo severe trial and tribulation we pray you bring peace to our own cities where there is such a, a uh, increase in crime by your grace let your church rest in your abundant care no matter how it is treated and we pray for the christian communities in the middle east also in China, North Korea, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, other countries where it is, uh, where, where the proclamation of Christ, the witness of the church, is being attacked. Hear our prayers. Almighty Lord, though the nations rage and you utter your voice and the earth melts, you are the Lord over all the powers in this world. As your word has gone forth into the world, may the nations be subdued as they hear the proclamation of the word. We pray that men and women and children from every race and every tongue would praise the name of Jesus. Hear our prayers for the gospel. Bless the world with governments that bring peace and stability and justice to their lands. May these governments promote tranquility and justice and humility under the order of your law in your creation. And in so doing, may we, your people, be able to live quietly, following the way of Jesus Christ and loving our neighbors. Here are our prayers for those who lead us, for our president, for our congressmen and women, our governor, the Supreme Court. We pray that there would be, um, that the judicial process would be um, allowed to function in a way that is fair and good for our society. Here are our prayers for those who lead us. Merciful Savior, attend to the proclamation of the gospel so that the death will deaf will hear in the blind see. And may the ones who do not believe repent and receive by faith Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Build up your church and make her strong in every place where your people have been gathered together. Here are our prayers for Grace Reform Church in Indiana and their pastor, Matthew Barker, also Everett Hinnis in Hillsdale. In addition, we pray for the Christians in Uganda and Ethiopia and our missionaries who serve there. And especially we pray for Tony Curto, and we particularly pray for your comfort for him as his wife has just passed away, and for David Robbins and Charles Jackson and their families as they serve in Uganda. Hear our prayers. O oh, gracious Lord, we ourselves have no life apart from you. We praise you for the abundant life that is in Jesus Christ, and grant us the saving health each one of us needs. In whatever our condition is, that we would love you and serve you. Here are our prayers for those who are faced with physical and spiritual needs. For Eduardo and Terry, for Luca, Fawn, Jeff, for Scott and Becky and Karen. Mrs. Mesner, Chris Barker, Kathy, Angie, Loretta, Jamie's mother, Shelley's father, and others we name to you in silence. May the gospel of Christ continue to be effective and more people added to this church where they may live in the grace and love of Jesus Christ and grow in faith and in the ministry of the word together with us. And for our mothers, we give you thanks for your love and kindness is expressed to us through them, for the wisdom and faithfulness they have shown us. Grant to those who continue in this noble calling restfulness and trust in your merciful merciful care in Jesus Christ. To you we pray, O Father, in the unity of the Spirit, through Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thank you.
2: Oh Lord.
1: Our first reading this morning uh, comes from the Book of Acts, chapter seven, verses fifty-four through sixty. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Our Psalter response comes from Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5 and 15 and 16. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Rescue me speedily,
2: Be a, of for you.
1: a strong fortress to save me, for you, Lord, my and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me, you take me, out of the net for, me. for you are my refuge.
2: Into your I my spirit.
1: You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors make your face
2: shine on your
1: surface. save me in your steadfast love our epistle comes from uh, our epistle reading rather comes from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 2 through 10 like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our Gospel reading comes from John... Uh, chapter, beginning with chapter 13, verse 36, and continuing through chapter 14, verse 11. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. The Word of the Lord.
0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We pray that you would shine upon us with your word, that your Holy Spirit would make us to have our faith renewed and strengthened again in Jesus Christ, and that we would see him by your word, as Stephen did in our lesson, that he's living and seated at your right hand. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All the Gospels were written after Jesus rose from the dead. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John were all written after Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, they are written after the apostles went out and began to proclaim the good news of the Gospel. Now, it's easy to overlook this. If you stop and think about it, you go, yes, but it's easy to overlook this since the Gospels tell the story of Jesus' life and ministry in this world. And when you read something and think about something, um, we you might Think of it in its immediate um, state, its immediate account. So as you read the stories in the Gospels, you might think of them happening um, immediately before Christ uh, died and was raised. But we receive them by way of Christ crucified and raised from the dead. That's how they come to us. So, for example, we might listen to the story of Jesus healing the blind man in one of the Gospels and hear it before his resurrection, and chronologically, Jesus did act before his death and resurrection. However, the perspective of the Gospels is always a post-resurrection perspective, and we should keep that in mind as we listen to them. Such as uh, when Jesus says to Martha at Lazarus' tomb, and the raising of Lazarus was chapter 11 in the Gospel of John. It's well before In the the gospel story, well before he goes to the cross. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So there's that perspective there of Jesus, who is the one who was raised from the dead. The gospels view Jesus' words and deeds from the reference point of the cross and his resurrection. And your reference point for when you're reading the gospels or any of scripture is extremely important. It makes all the difference about how you read them. And that includes what Jesus says in our text this morning. So this means that Jesus' death and resurrection are always necessary to understand what he did and what he said. And so when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Well, the life that he's talking about there is the resurrected life. It's the life that that Stephen's talking about in his vision right before he was uh, stoned to death. It's the life that Peter's talking about, the living stone, which is which is another one of those strange metaphors in the Bible. But Jesus is that living stone, that cornerstone. And when you think of a stone, you think of an inanimate object. But it's not with Christ. He's the living stone. And then we're all being built into the building, Peter says. It's this living building. It's a strange thing. If you can think of a building that's alive and, and all its stones and all its parts are, are thriving with life, but it's all sitting and resting and growing up out of that cornerstone, Jesus Christ. So so that life of Jesus is the resurrected life of Jesus. Now, up until recently, a relationship with God was a matter of fact for most people in this country. It was a matter of fact. However, the percentage of those who do not believe in God has gone up. And this is what the Pew Research Center says based on their surveys. They update their surveys every couple years, and... Uh, Pew is one of the respected, well-known uh, surveyors in this country. They say the religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid clip. In 2018 and 2019, 65% of American adults described themselves as Christians when asked about their religion, and that's down 12 percentage points over the past decade. So in 10 years, it's dropped, according to their survey, 10 or 12 percentage points. Meanwhile, the religiously unaffiliated share of the population, consisting of people who describe their religious identity as atheist, in other words, I'm not, uh, agnostic, or nothing in particular, that's up, 20, up to 26%. Um, that's grown 17% from 2009. It was uh, around 9%, and now it's shot up to 26%. So the move away from faith in God fills the mind and conversation of our society, and there are many who are very excited about this because it means that religion will no longer have an effect, and they consider that a bad thing um, in our country. It's just us in this life, we are told. That's the consequence of this kind of thinking. It's just us. There's no God. We're all alone. Now, thankfully, the Word of God comes to us today, and it reassures us, and it renews our faith in Jesus Christ. You are hearing these messages. I don't think you believe them, but you're hearing what people are saying, and they get a lot of uh, noise, make a lot of noise, get a lot of press, and it can be discouraging. And you can actually start maybe existentially feeling like you're kind of alone, even though you know by faith that you're not. So it's good to hear God's Word today. Today there are a growing number of people who claim they belong to no religion and they don't believe in God. And yet it's important for us to distinguish what kind of God do people not believe in. So when someone talks to you, "I don't believe in God, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, I'm not the first one to think of or not, I'm not the one to think of this. Some other people have thought of this too, but just good to kind of probe them a little bit. Well, tell me about the God you don't believe in. I've tried that a few times and you start hearing about the God they don't believe in. And uh, you, know, you know what? I don't believe in that God either. And it's, it's really rather kind of awakening for them sometimes. So it's good to know and distinguish what kind of a God do you not believe in. Now, the Pew Center also found that when people say they don't believe in God, they often do mean the God of the Bible. So that little trick about, you know, what God do you not believe in doesn't always work. Sometimes they'll tell you exactly about the God you do believe in, and then you have to talk on a different level. But nine, what's interesting is... Um, they, they don't believe in the God of the Bible, and yet nine and ten Americans believe in a higher power. So you've got these, there's uh, this, still this recognition of a higher power. They may not call it God. But there's something, something that kind of is is at work in our world that's greater than us. Seventy-five percent of Americans talk to God or who they call God or a higher power. Sixty-five percent believe God. Or a higher power determines what happens in their life most of the time or at least some of the time. So there's still some sense of a higher power in, in our society. But this is all thinking of our relationship from our side of it. That's the thing about these surveys and polls and all that and talking to people. We, we get, we get the, the thoughts of the person from, from our side of this relationship with God. What's interesting is whether people believe in the God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, or they believe in a higher power, or they believe in no deity at all, it doesn't really matter. No matter what, where they are, they still have a relationship with God. Now, viewed from their side, they'd say, no, I don't. But viewed from God's side, yes, they do. God is there whether they like it or not. He has created us. He judges us. He's come to us in Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. He's the God who is there. And so we have a relationship with him because he is there, because he is alive, and he's not going away. So everyone has a relationship with God, and that's probably troublesome to those who are atheists to, to hear something like that. They would push back strong against it. But everyone has a relationship with God. It's just a matter of whether it's a relationship of forgiveness and love or of sin and rebellion. It's one thing to have a relationship with God as sinners who have rejected him. It's quite another to have a relationship that's full of love and peace and resides in his presence. And don't we see this in human relationships, the difference in relationships? An estranged relationship with your father or your mother is a very different kind of relationship than an intimate, attentive, and respectful relationship with your father or mother. But how do we have a right relationship with God, and what happens to that relationship when we die? How, how, how do we have this relationship, and does it last? Well, yes, there are a significant number, significant number of people in our country who do not believe in God, but many do, and many Christians, of course, we believe in God, but we can take it for granted. So based on the Pew survey, we can believe uh, there are many who believe they can talk to God anytime they want, that God's there for us, he helps us along in life, he doesn't judge us, he makes us feel better, and when we die, we go straight to him, and there's sort of this presumption on the relationship with God. So you have a lot of different things going on in our society, of those who deny God, think he's not there, there's no relationship, and then there are others who think there is a relationship, but they take it for granted. In our gospel lesson, Jesus talks about dwelling. It's the word he uses. He tells his disciples that he's going to prepare a place for them where they will be with him and with the Father. In the future, when Jesus returns, his disciples will, will abide with God in person. And Jesus uses the metaphor of a house with many rooms. This is what he's talking about. There's going to be this personal presence, this personal abiding or dwelling with God. And when you have a house, you think of a dwelling, right? We even call a house a dwelling But you dwell in the dwelling, and and that's the metaphor Jesus is using. It's a metaphor of a house with many rooms. It's a metaphor of place and presence. Dwelling, in our lesson this morning, in other words, indicates a relationship. Now later in John 17, Jesus talks about dwelling now with God. In our text this morning, he's talking about Jesus going to prepare a place for them. Jesus promised in chapter 17 of John that he, would, he promised that the Father would send the spirit, the divine spirit, to them and dwell with his disciples in person and be in them. And so that dwelling has a present and a future aspect to it in the Gospel of John. But in our scripture lesson, we're told that, that it's, it's something that has to happen yet. And we are told that the only way that this relationship with God happens is through Jesus Christ. And not only that we have this relationship only through Jesus Christ, but it's actually more than a relationship. The disciples in our reading certainly did not think having a relationship with God was automatic. They're not like so many people in this country who just assume there's a God there and I'm in a relationship with him and and he, he, he hears me and I talk to him and all that. It's sort of assumed. But that's not the case in our lesson this morning. Our reading is prompted by Jesus telling his disciples that he would be leaving them soon. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. And he says later, where I'm going, you cannot come. So he's leaving them. He's talking about that. Jesus was the son of God. With Jesus, God had been present with his disciples in a new and personal way. They had walked with him and lived with him through his ministry. What would happen when Jesus left? The disciples were troubled and confused. A relationship with God is not matter of fact, not in our text. It's not matter of fact. Jesus is talking about leaving them, and they're scared. They're afraid. They, they're confused. What's going on? Peter raised the first question. There are a couple questions in our text. The first question comes in, in verse 36 of chapter 13. He said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Peter said he would go with Jesus, and Jesus quickly set Peter straight. He said, where I'm going, you cannot follow now. You know, later, he's, he does give some hope about later, but not now. You can't follow me. Jesus was going to die on the cross and be lifted up from the earth into the eternal presence of the Father. And that presence of God transcends this world. You don't just walk into the transcendent presence of God. Not in the scripture. You don't just walk into it. It's not like Dorothy and her friends in the land of Oz who walk up the steps to the Emerald Castle. And look in; they expect to find some great, you know, um, magic man there. It uh, turns out it's some scr- uh, Weasley little guy in the back who's pulling all the, you know, levers and making things look different than they were. But the point is, they walked in; they just walked in. You can't do that with with God who transcends this world. Scripture uses the language of God residing above the world. He's over the atmospheric clouds. He's above the heavens. He's ruling in perfect power and authority over his whole creation. He's unapproachable in splendor and majesty. Uh, The psalm says, who is clothed with honor and majesty, who covers himself with light as with a garment. You you can't just walk up to that. He fills heaven and earth, but who cannot be contained by heaven and earth, Says Jeremiah. Who's hidden from our eyes. But look around right now. Do you see him? No. Who, he is holy with no evil or unrighteousness in his being. Our confession of faith. The Westminster Confession of Faith. Describes God using a very classical method. Of saying what he is not. It also says what he is. But it says he is not. And I'll show you how. It says living, he's the living and true God. Who is infinite. in other other words, not finite, infinite in being and perfection, who's invisible, in other words, not visible. He's immutable, in other words, he doesn't change. He's immense, he's eternal, he's incomprehensible, he's most holy, and it goes on. It's one thing when God comes to us, as he did with the Israelites, when he appeared in a glorious theophany of his presence, in those terrifying storms of lightning and smoke or at the tabernacle and the temple in his cloud of brilliant glory. It's one thing when God comes to us and manifests himself that way. But when God removes the manifestation of his presence, how do you dwell with God? It's one thing for the Israelites to go to the temple where his Shekinah glory is residing and they see the brilliance of it. And it's, it's uh, him presenting himself to them in that way. And they can go and dwell in the presence of God in a way that God has made, made known to them. But how do you have a relationship? How do you dwell with God when he pulls that away? That was Peter's question. Thomas raised the second question. It's in verse chapter 14, verse five. "Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? How to get to God? That used to be a very ancient question. The ancients pondered it. How to get to God or, or their conception of, of a higher being? Now, there was this community in the desert out, outside of Jerusalem, a Jewish community. In the first century, so at the time when Jesus was alive and John the Baptist, this community was out there. It's called Qumran. And belonging—if it was believed that you had to belong to that community in order to find the way to God. The Old Testament contrasted the way of life and the way of death. And the law, it was said, led one to life. And that's what they firmly held to in uh, Qumran. And not just the law, the Torah, all the Jews had that, but a certain way of understanding them and obeying the law. Uh, Psalm 119 says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set your law before me. That's the way. Follow the law. At Qumran, those who entered the community were said to be those who had chosen the way. That's what, that's what they were called, those who had chosen the way. And the way consisted of a strict observance of the Mosaic law. And if we think that the Jews today, some of them have strict observance Qumran would put them to shame. They were extremely strict about how you observed the Mosaic law. This way, the Qumran teachers, was the study of the law which God commanded through Moses. That's the way, through that law. So that was the Jews trying to find the way to God through the law. Then there were the Greeks like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Pythagoras. And most of them believed there was this ultimate reality of blessedness and peace, basically, basically, They believe in this higher divine reality or God, a higher deity. Plato said something tragic had happened in this world, and now we are in the dark. We're ignorant of this ultimate reality. We might get a little glimpse of the shadow of it flickering on the wall, but we we really uh, are basically ignorant of it. There's a veil that covers our minds. We're imprisoned in this world. So how do you break through that to God. How can our souls return to their creator? How can we abide with God in peace and harmony forever? And there were many different ways suggested by the philosophers and religious leaders. There was asceticism that was very popular, abstain from certain foods, abstain from sex, abstain from all kinds of things um, so that you can be kind of taken out of the material realities of this world, practice the virtues of wisdom, courage, temperance, justice, that could help advance you regularly offering sacrifices seeking knowledge, but whatever the case, it was a lot of work. It's not so easy dwelling with the divine being. And in the Bible, one does not just walk up to God. The Apostle Paul saw the religious nature of humanity in Athens. He was in Athens. He saw the the um, the statues there and the inscriptions on the statues. And he saw that these are people who were seeking after God, and he described it as a blind man feeling around in the dark, hoping that they might find their way toward him. They were like blind men stumbling around in the dark, trying to find the way. Thomas did not believe it was so easy to dwell with God, and so he said, how can we know the way? And then there's Philip. Philip settled for a vision. Lord, show us the Father, it's enough for us. It's chapter 14, verse 8. Lord, show us the Father, it's enough for us. So mystical visions of the divine, some kind of spiritual experience, these are all we need. That seems to be sort of the the consequence of Philip's um, request. There are many kinds of religious experiences that we can settle for as a relationship with God. We can... We can, we can define a relationship with God as a spiritual experience, and that's extremely common among religious people in our country. That was Philip's answer, and there are many kinds of religious experiences that we could settle for as a relationship with God. Intimate relationships, numinous, emotional experiences, moments of bliss, they all have this feeling of closeness to them, Right? And we, we, because it's interior, we tend to uh, think that that's authentic. And so then, oh, I must have a relationship with God because I feel this. Today, music and stories are used to stimulate your emotions in order to create religious experiences. So they're very effective, very powerful. And there are those who live from one spiritual experience to the next, and they're constantly looking for it, and they feel very empty if they don't have that. This reduces a relationship with God to a spiritual experience. And quite frankly, if that's all it is, it's easy to have a relationship with God if it's just about having the spiritual experience. Jesus declares there's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to God. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the first thing I have to point out about this is that he does not say a way. Jesus does not say, I am a way. Boy, that would really kind of downgrade it, wouldn't it? Jesus is a way. Jesus says he is the way. There's only one way to the Father, and that is Jesus. The primary phrase in Jesus' statement is, I am the way. I want you to pay attention to this before I've taught it in the Bible study, too. The primary phrase in that statement is, I am the way. Now, how do we know that? Jesus is responding to Thomas. That's why I wanted us to back up a little bit in our reading to chapter 13. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Thomas is asking about the way, and Jesus answers him, I am the way. You see? That's the primary phrase in the sentence. The rest of the sentence adds to that phrase, I am the way. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the way because I am the truth and the life. He's, he's adding these things on to explain why he is that way. Jesus is the way to the Father because he's the truth. The truth is not a concept by which Jesus is measured. For us, truth is some fact or reality that we use to compare things to and decide if they're right and wrong. And um, a lot of times, it's the iPhone and the Internet that we use. You know, we my wife and I now have Spirited conversations at dinner, and we actually can prove someone's right. We used to be—we'd have spirited conversations, and we just kind of walked away. Well, I'm right, you know, and she thinks she's right, and all that. But now you can look it up, and it's really ruined the uh, the uh, the ongoing discussion. So we have our iPhones; we look it up. Well, that assumes though that what you're looking up is a good source. Um, maybe a better example is a yardstick. If someone asks you how tall you are and you tell them, now you're not going to need a measuring tape, not a yardstick, but you tell them, "I'm five foot eight inches," and then they disagree with you and say, "Oh no, you're not. You must be shorter than that." And the two of you agree to find a measuring tape and you measure the height to see how it compares to the standard, the measuring tape, and whether you were right or wrong, right? So we compare something to the truth. <clears throat> Jesus is not saying that he measures up to the truth. Because that would make the truth greater than Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying he is the truth. So Jesus is talking about God's revelation. The Father sent his son, Jesus, into the world in order to reveal the way to God. Jesus is the incarnate revelation of the Father. That's the kind of truth he's talking about. He came from the Father. He was lifted up to the Father by his death, resurrection, and ascension. And by doing what he was sent to do, Jesus reveals the way to God. He's the truth. He's the true way. He's the real way. It's the the same as what Jesus said earlier in the Gospel of John I am the door, a different metaphor. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus is the only way to the Father. And Jesus also says that he's the way because he's the life. He's the way because he's the truth. He's the way because he's the life. He leads to life with the Father, eternal life. That's the destination of this way. It's God. Now Jesus' way does not wander around and around like the trails in a metro park going in circles. We might find that fun uh, in our own sort of adventure. But Jesus' way doesn't wander around just not really aimlessly, not really going anywhere in particular. Jesus' way is not a spiritual journey that goes nowhere. The way of Jesus has a goal, and that goal is life with God. Within God is life, the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is the living God. John calls it eternal life. It's the life of God. And in his own being, he's alive, living, and that life is, is, set, is right there, uh, based in, the, in, the, uh, in God himself. And Jesus is that life because he's the Son who dwells in the eternal life of God with the Father and the Spirit. See, He's He's within that life. He's he that He's in the midst of that life as God. In our lesson, Jesus says to Philip, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That's important to say for Jesus, and that He's the life because He's in that very life of God. I am in the Father, the Father's in me. The Father sent the Son to give us this life. Isn't that wonderful? you stop and pause and think about it the father sent the son to give us this life the life that that flows from him and he only sent the son to give this life no one else can give you the life of god because no one else is sent by the father to reveal the way no one else comes from within the life of god Jesus is the one who's from within God. He participates in that life. He reveals it, and therefore, he is the way to that life. You see? Jesus is the way because he's the truth and the life. Well, it's all well and good to talk about our relationship with God. I I actually, to help people understand the, the covenant community or the covenant that God makes with his people, Israel, and now with us through Christ, I like to use the word relationship. I think sometimes that's a more manageable word. Covenant seems a little more abstract or distant in our culture. So I sometimes use that word. It's good to talk about it. It's a good word. But what Jesus gives us is so much more than what we commonly understand as a relationship of feeling close to God or some kind of a spiritual experience. It's a whole lot more than that. Through Jesus, we actually share in the life of God. We actually share in that life. That's amazing. The life of God is different from the life of this world. God gives us life in this world, too. We have our existence in this world. He mercifully makes it so that we are born, and we have a set number of years to grow and develop and mature, mature. He blesses us with knowledge and fruitfulness. He sustains us in this life. He sustains us in this world. We are given food to eat and health and security. And yet, our life in this world is marked by sin. The life of this world is a sinful life. It's broken. It's a life that has gone the way of separation from God and death. And now there's rebellion against God and violence and deceit and selfishness and corruption and guilt and destruction. God's life, on the other hand, I want you to see the distinction. God's life, on the other hand, is a life with unbroken love, peace, righteousness, all these things that Scripture talks about. It's a life without sin and death. So Augustine, again, my favorite, one of my favorite uh explanations of the trinity that's probably the wrong word to use anyway uh, augustine describes the life of the trinity and i've used this many many times here as love given love received love shared without loss or without being mixed with selfishness and sin this perfect interaction within god Um, that's real life that's real life this is the life that jesus gives to us it's not more of the life of the sinful world he gives us this life with God. Life with God through Jesus is given to us, and it starts now. It's not just off in the future. It starts now. One day we'll enjoy it fully without the uh, presence of sin, you know, living within the sin and, and uh, death of this world, but this life has begun now. We can participate in the life of God now through faith in Jesus. For those in Christ, we have a life with God that's filled with love and unity and holiness and joy. And we are participating in that life. You might wonder, well, how do we participate in that? Well, by prayer is one way. When you pray, you're entering into and joining and participating in that life of God. It's, It's not like you're just bringing your prayers and God's sitting there passively. No, you're entering into stream of his life where he is working and doing things in this world. Worship, what we're doing right now, hearing his word, there's a living aspect to that. And by worship, you're participating in his life, serving him through Christ. All of that we're doing right now is participating in that life of God. Jesus is the way to the life of God right now. It's not something we just put off or hope for in the future. And this is the promise of God's word. Jesus said, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and I plan to use, if my mind remembers, I plan to use that line when we come to the Lord's table. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper is given to us so that we may feed on Christ. We feed upon him by the Spirit, and we participate in his life, but it's a true feeding upon him. Feeding upon him being fed for that life that we have with God. This is a very, very important meal for that life with God. And the Lord gives us the spirit who dwells within us and therefore we participate in the life of God. There's more for you through Jesus Christ than feeling close to God or expressing your thoughts and concerns to God. That's all fine and good, but there's a whole lot more than that. And so don't settle for that. Believe Jesus is the way and live according to the life of God that is yours through him. Let us pray. Almighty God, whom truly to know is everlasting life, to know not just mentally, but to know in participation (coughs) through Christ, grant us so perfectly to know your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life, that we may steadfastly follow his steps in the way that leads to that eternal life with you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is number 181, We Come, O Christ, to You. Stephen saw, and where we have true fellowship with one another as co-members of his one body. So again, we hear the words of the institution every time we celebrate this. Why? So that we know that this is a meal set apart, but also that there's life here that's different than the life of this world. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We welcome to this table all who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ, and our communicant members in good standing of the Christian church. You are to come to this table with a true faith in Jesus Christ, a sorrow for and willingness to turn from sin. Isn't that what we heard and what we expressed in the uh, confession of sin and the assurance of pardon. We are to lead a godly life and seek to lead a godly life in peace with and toward, uh, love toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. So all of that is part of what it means to follow Christ and and we affirm that as we come to this table. Now Christian people, today we have been reminded that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and he makes the way for us to have life with God. This day we've confessed our sin, received the assurance of God's forgiveness. We've heard his call to live in love. So as you come to the supper, I exhort you to remember the grace that is yours in him and strengthened by the sacrament, live your life with God through Christ with prayer, worship, and serving him. And come to this meal with joy. How can you not be joyful? Rejoice in Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, be strengthened by his gifts, and find you the grace you need to follow where he leads. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is indeed right and good and always and everywhere to give you thanks, almighty and eternal Father. For you alone have created us and you give us all manner of good things in this life. And for that we are... Immensely grateful, but especially you've sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross for us. In the joy of his resurrection, we celebrate the sacrifice of Christ and we praise you with that host of heaven who forever praise you saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. So as we come to this table and offer our prayers to you, we remember, we remember in the sense of participating in those great events of Jesus Christ, including his death and resurrection. We remember that he who dwelt with you became a man and joined us in the flesh. And so we are able to participate with him because he joined us with him. We remember that he was obedient even as he was delivered up to die. And so we are crucified with him. We remember that you have glorified him that he was despised and rejected by man, but you raised him up, and so we are raised into that new life. So we glorify him and exalt him, who is the author of life, the victor of our salvation, and we come to this meal and receive it with faith, saying, dying you destroyed our death, rising you restored our life, Lord Jesus, come in glory. We thank you that Jesus lives and comes to be present with us, And we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would come and be present with us now, that you would make this meal holy so that our eating of this bread and our drinking of this cup may be for us a communion in the body and blood of Jesus Christ and that we may be nourished and fed by him. Give us faith in him. And in this way, may the new life of the risen Lord be our life both now and forever. Through Christ and with Christ and in Christ in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, Heavenly Father, forever and ever. And we offer our thanksgiving together with one voice saying, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup, saying, this cup is a cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
2: Jesus said, truly, truly, I say
0: to you, he who believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. Take and eat this bread, and drink this cup, and remember Christ's body and blood given for you, and receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you we, we give you thanks and praise that upon us you have conferred such a great benefit as to bring us into the communion of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who, having delivered up to death for us, you have given for our food and nourishment unto eternal life. Now also grant us grace that we may never be unmindful of these things, but that we would carry them about, written upon our hearts, set firmly in our minds, and that we may advance and grow in the faith that is effectual to every good work. And thus, may the rest of our lives be ordered and followed out to your glory and for the upbuilding of our neighbors through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you, O Father, and the Holy Spirit, lives and reigns in the unity of the Godhead, world without end. Amen. Our final hymn is number 281. I know that my Redeemer lives. Glory, alleluia.
1: seated, and good morning to you all, and uh, especially a uh, very happy Mother's Day to all of uh, the mothers who are here, and uh, good job to all the kids who are here with their mothers, um, but uh, I, am, I am certainly grateful for the, uh, the many excellent role models uh, for my daughters and this congregation that uh, they, can, they can study what motherhood is supposed to look like. So, and to those to those at home as well, happy mother 's day. Um, not a ton of uh, of announcements. You will note in the um, in the bulletin that uh, the uh, formal reception and brunch for uh, the Rebecca Wilson wedding uh, on June eleventh It is in the bulletin now, so uh, if you need to reference that uh, on that note, our uh, fearless leader will be. Uh, following the old Horace Greeley advice to uh, go west, young man, and Michael W. Smith, if you're a lot younger. But, uh, uh, so he will be heading out for that. So we will have a, uh, a uh, guest filling the pulpit next week, and there will not be Bible study on Thursday, correct? So no Bible study Thursday of this week uh, due to Pastor Wilson be heading out to Colorado. And I think that's all I have, uh, but if anyone else has anything, I will open the floor. All right. That was exciting. So, anyway, um awesome. Well, then uh you are dismissed.
0: We
2: do
1: CE. Yes, we do have Christian. Ed. Sorry. That's uh you're temporarily dismissed and then